0: Hello! And
1: welcome to Awesome Etiquette,
0: where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
1: On today's show, we take your questions on passing earbuds out like candy, fussing with flowers as a host, electric bill etiquette, and a question about housewarmings that inevitably comes back to do we register?
0: Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on tricky foods, H through O.
1: For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about Bachelor and Bachelorette party planning.
0: All that, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute.
1: I'm Lizzie Post.
0: And I'm Dan post Setting. You had a book event. I
1: had a book event. We don't get that many book events because people don't often ask for us to read out of the the kind of more encyclopedic etiquette editions, and that was the most recent last book launch that we had was for the 19th edition, and we don't really often do readings. We'll do talks, we'll do a lot of Q&As with people, and we'll do just straight-up book signings, but we don't end up doing a lot of talking, and I actually did.
0: This is the kind of thing <laughs> I feel like I read about in books, or I used to hear my Aunt Peggy talk about when yes. you would tour— prominent bookstores or bookstores of note, and they would have a meet the author, you would read a little something, you would sign a little something, maybe eat a little something.
1: Welcome to what I experienced. Absolutely. It was... So I went down to Northshire, and they had a little area on the second floor of the bookstore set up. It's a beautiful bookstore. And they introduced me, and I talked a little bit about what the research was like and how this book came about, why we're even talking about the subject, and then I... um, Um, did a reading from some different sections of the book, and then we opened it up to conversation. And it was uh, mostly, I would say, 45, 50-plus age group, and it was about 30 people, which I think is a good turnout turnout. for a book event. And the discussion was really lively. It was really fun. Um, People were asking all kinds of questions from different experiences in different states to what we thought the biggest concerns were, which were communication. We thought that was one of the biggest ones to my own personal connection to the book and its lifestyle. And it was it was just really fun. I had uh, people so proud to share their connection to the plant and their um, life with it or how it impacted other people in their lives. And for me, I thought the most encouraging thing was when I was reading, seeing people nod in agreement. And that made me feel really great up there.
0: Well, I remember when you read the whole book for, oh, for the, the audio For the recording. audio
1: book, yes.
0: <laughs> was it weird to do it in front of people? Or? It,
1: it was different. I stumbled a couple times, um, which always I find always embarrassing. But it was really nice to get a chance to read it aloud in my voice to people and to, to pick a few sections that kind of go together but aren't reading an entire chapter or something like that. So it, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun.
0: I'm glad to hear it because – I know you have a lot more of yes. not necessarily these coming, <laughs> oh, but a lot yes, more do. events <laughs> coming in the yeah. next couple weeks. You
1: are right. By the time this show airs, I will have already been to Colorado and New York, and then we'll be on my way to L.A. and San Francisco um, for May first through the eighth of May. So we have quite. Sounds a Sounds lo- terrible. I know cause. it's Tough. really awful, <laughs> um, but it was it was really fun. It was really fun, and I really couldn't thank the group that I spent time with in Manchester more. They were so open and so receptive and so thoughtful. It was a really wonderful experience.
0: Good launch to the launch. Good launch
1: to the launch.
0: We've got some business to attend to today.
1: Yes, we do. Shall
0: we get to some questions? I was
1: gonna say, should we launch into some questions? <laughs> Let's do it. We're so gross.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so we know that you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, please remember to put sustaining member somewhere
0: Our first question is about passing earbuds out like candy. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thanks for the great show. I have an idea I want to run by you. It seems to have become common for people to watch videos, listen to music, or use FaceTime in public without using earphones. I notice this especially in restaurants, stores, and airports. I try to be sympathetic. It's no fun being stuck somewhere without a source of entertainment when you forgot to pack your earbuds. But I personally would rather not listen to someone else's phone speakers, even if the show is really good. I'll be honest, it drives me crazy. This problem has inspired me to start collecting sealed packs of inexpensive earbuds, which I can then pass out to people who are using their speakers in public. I consider it a win-win. They get to watch their shows, and I don't have to listen. However, my friend has pointed out that this could be taken as a passive-aggressive way of shaming people for what I perceive as rudeness. What do you think? Is it better to be forthright and ask people to turn down the volume? Should I just put up with it or try to leave the area? Or can I offer them a pair of earbuds? Any other ideas? Your guidance would be much appreciated as I currently have a 50-pack of bulk earbuds in my Amazon cart and my finger on the checkout button. Shannon.
1: (laughs) Shannon, we hope that in the weeks since you've been able to move from that position, this is one of those really tough spots because it's a good idea. It is, and it's a clean idea. I like the fact that you're thinking. I think that certain phone makers, we shall leave them anonymous, have made the the universal phone jack a little more difficult.
0: I was Um, thinking about some of those little details, too. Oh,
1: that makes me so mad. So um, I don't know if connector pieces are also in your...
0: Expensive connector pieces. Yeah, exactly,
1: also in your budget, but not a bad thing to have on hand, too. Maybe a pack of five, just in case. But um, this is one of those great ideas, but yes, it is It is an imposition. It's an offering. So it's this is me bouncing it back and forth, right? Mm-hmm. On the one hand, yeah, you're walking up to someone and saying, you're bothering me here. I mean, that's the subtext of what you're saying. Um, on the other hand, you're providing someone with an option that they might be really, really grateful for. And so I I see it as both we're all in public spaces and we kind of have to deal with the rudeness of Others. Sometimes we can make requests as much as we feel safe doing so, but that even starts to be a little bit of you not being able to handle strangers in open public places. And it gets a little funky and messy. I think that having the multi-pack of the sealed ones at least gets you into this place of... You know, I know I hate it when I forget my headphones. I happen to keep spares on me. Would you like a pair? They've never been used. They're literally 50 cents I give them away all the time. And I think that kind of an ask is or an offer is going to be okay, but I think just handing them over to someone without saying anything, I think saying, "Here, you could use these instead." Um I, I it's like I'm I'm not finding very many avenues other than, oh, I happen to have these, should you want them, that work. The rudeness that you're speaking about, Dan is, by the way, just laughing across the mic from me right now. Um, The rudeness that you're speaking about just is one where, like, it's just rude enough that it is really annoying, and it's just kind of personal zone enough that it's, I don't know, maybe if the show was bad and they were swearing, or, like, you were getting some real sexual content on it, like... I don't I don't know. Help me out, cousin. Help me out.
0: The reason I'm over here just yeah. cracking up yeah. is because, first of all, I just couldn't agree with the idea that this is a bother anymore. Yeah. And when we got to the airports part of the list of places where this is bothersome, that's the place where I've encountered it the most personally. Oh,
1: it rankles me. I will use that. It rankles me.
0: <laughs> the, the, the kids in the seat behind me, I hear their video game. Whatever... It, it it is where it just starts to really grate on me for some reason. But I've also been the person. This happens. I, I own so many sets of earbuds yes, because Stan I <laughs> constantly need to buy more, and they're so expensive in those little airport stores where you pay too much for the not as good quality ones. And I hold myself accountable as much as possible, so I always end up buying more because I always forget mine. And like you, I'm sympathetic about. People wanting some entertainment, a way to pass the time when you're traveling for many days. So I like the point of entry into this discussion. It's a topic that interests me. And I also like what I hear my cousin struggling with, which is that the <laughs> basic point is that it's tough to correct other people. Yes. That it's hard to approach someone else, say what you're doing is bothersome to. To me, could you stop? Could you change what you're doing? And it's not that we never get to do it, but that just starting from a place of acknowledging that that is a potentially fraught interaction, that is something that might go well, might not go well, is I think the good place to start so that you're able to execute that how you do it well and the how matters so much here. That something like this could come across really bad. You could also encounter someone like me who desperately wants a set of earbuds and would rather not buy, buy them in that one. little store yeah. right there who would be really appreciative of this. So it's I, – I wouldn't want to say don't. So like my cousin, I start to think to myself, what is the how that might make this work? And I think there are some – There are some details that might help.
1: There are a couple things I would think of first. And first I would look at – so like if we're at the airport, if we're at the gate waiting for a flight, you can't always tell who's waiting for which gate. So I might give a look around and just see whether there are gates that are really very close to their departure time or whether we're a long way off. Because if this is just going to be like five minutes of that show being on and then the person jumps up in line, you know – it's it's just cost such benefit a, analysis. Exactly, Is this worth it? Exactly. You really do want to think about that. If it's you're on a train and it's going to be a four hour ride and you've got like a person in your car and close to you in your car, not all the way at the other end. You know what I mean? That's going to be something I'm going to be more likely to want to speak up on. But not knowing the stops on this train schedule, you might, you know, speak up too early. That's like just it's – a, it's a timing thing. It's worth to kind of think about and be aware of before you say anything. And just whichever end that you end up on, like deciding to say, deciding not to say, at least you've taken that moment to think first.
0: There's a situational assessment. I think there's also a personal assessment. Yes. Who is this person? Are they likely to be someone who's able to – receive and interact with me about this. We
1: have and that's something you have like virtually no way of knowing just by looking at someone. No, you don't.
0: <laughs> but you make these judgments all the time all the and time. I think it's worth saying to yourself,
1: do I feel safe interacting? Do I feel safe making this gesture?
0: Is this a unsupervised 2-year-old who's not going to know what I'm talking about? No, it's probably not going to be point. a good, good moment to offer a set of earbuds. At the same time, if it's someone who I would be likely to turn to and say, hey, could you turn that down a bit? Or do you have some earbuds you could use? Or do you have some headphones you could use? I'd really appreciate it. I think that's the kind of person who you might turn to and say, do you need a set of earbuds? I keep extras just in case someone needs them. You'd be welcome to keep them. Or something so that someone knows that they haven't been used before, that they're welcome to keep them afterwards. You also want to be clear about some of these little details that you're not offering them your earbuds. What
1: I like about the language you've selected is that it's short and it's not a request of, would you please use earbuds? It's, I have this thing, they're clean, they're safe. If you'd like them, they're yours. And I I like that. It comes into the into the grounds for me of really comfortable, accessible people helping people, you know, territory, as opposed to um let me correct you.
0: <laughs> I love that distinction. Because that's the, the space that I think you want to be in. Yes. You want to be in that friendly, helpful space, not the critical or demanding space. And that's a lot of subtlety. And it's the subtlety of the type of interaction that we're talking about here.
1: Shannon, we say hit checkout, click buy, go for it, get those delivered to you in two days or less, however it works. And, um, and definitely craft your language, be safe about whom you approach. Um, but we think that this is actually probably going to help more people than it will offend.
0: Why do you suppose this room is so quiet? Well, I think it's because each of us helps to keep the room quiet when we're working. But we're not quiet
1: all the time. You're not? No. We know there are times and places to be quiet, and other times and places when we can make noise if we want to. This question is titled Fidgeting with Flowers. Hello, last night I had six people for dinner. Table set, flowers already in place. The second guest to arrive handed me some handsome tulips. The other guests arrived very quickly thereafter, and they were all happily sitting in the living room, and I was stuck in the kitchen taking care of the flowers. Of course, I thanked the donor, graciously, I think, and I took care of them, etc., etc., put them out on the coffee table. But I felt resentful standing in the kitchen doing the flowers while the guests were sitting about and enjoying one another's company without me. It felt so wrong. And this morning, I am unhappy about this. Every time I have people in, someone brings flowers. I'm beginning to feel like all I do is work rather than like a hostess taking care of the guests. How should I treat the flowers? Put them in a bucket till next day and then arrange them? Put them in a bucket and say they need to acclimatize themselves before I can do anything with them. I've read that flowers need to rest for four hours before they are arranged. Hand the flower-bringing guests a vase and secateurs and let them handle the flowers while I see to the guests? Say please no flowers on the invitation? This will be ignored by those who don't pay attention. Say please no flowers with information about parking, etc. Is the only solution to just not invite people? I have consulted Etiquette Books and searched your website on this question, but find no guidance. Thank you for your consideration on this question. Cheers, Suzanne in Toronto.
0: Suzanne, I can feel your frustration in this question. And I also just want to say what a phenomenal problem to have. Too many flowers in your life. Too many people bringing flowers. We should all be so fortunate. Emily Post herself loved cut flowers. She considered it one of the great luxuries. I think my Uncle Bill talked about it on this show when he guest-hosted with Lizzie way, way, way back when in the early days about – how Emily liked to have cut flowers in every room in her house.
1: She had a cutting garden large enough for that, yes.
0: All that being said, as lovely as flowers are, that can be a lot to manage when you're entertaining. And in fact, you probably don't want to be managing all that when you're entertaining. There was a very traditional rule of etiquette that if you brought flowers, you brought a vase. You brought some way for them to be presented and taken care of so that you took some of that burden or responsibility off the person receiving the gift.
1: Right. You don't want to bring something to your host that causes your host work when your host is trying to host. (laughs) So
0: not everybody is aware of that expectation around bringing flowers. And we will do our best on this show to share that information because it is a nice tip. If you are thinking about bringing flowers for somebody, thinking about a way to make that gift not a burden on them in the moment that they're received is a really good thing to think about.
1: That being said, in today's culture, we are less formal than we used to be. And it's not Uncommon to have hosts fixing platters of things, making drinks for people. We just don't live in a world that has the frequency of household staff the way that that Emily did for sure, um, and even the way that some of our parents did. Um, and and just it's not realistic, I think, for everyone to be in a position where they can solely host in terms of just being the gracious host talking with guests while everything else happens around them. I mean, even Emily had to figure out ways to serve dinner and deal with all the hosting duties when there wasn't a household staff. And this was when she invented the character of Mrs. 3-in-1. But if we step Way, way, way back from this one. I think that—and not—the frustrating moment in hand when you've got the pressure on you because you know what you have to do as a host to make the cocktail hour, the dinner hour, and the dessert all move smoothly and have a good time, to be thrown something extra— it's a little bit disorienting at times, but it doesn't have to be to the point where it gets you this frustrated. I'm concerned that, that Suzanne has gotten to a point where she doesn't even want to host anymore because this is so frustrating. And yet when we step back, your guests are bringing you flowers. This is a nice, kind gesture. We want to be gracious about how we receive them. To solve the problem, I think, one of the things you could do is anticipate. As you've mentioned, you've anti- you've you said, even if I say don't bring flowers, people will. So why not ahead of time set out something like, a large mason jar with water in it and a pair of scissors right there next to them. Why not set something so that it's easy for you to get the flowers into some water? There's nothing that says you have to put them out and present them for the, the evening. There's nothing that says that you can't simply arrange them the next day and enjoy them in your home and thank your guests for them later. So I say set yourself up well to receive something that's a very classic gift with a common problem that people often forget about. We just we don't live in an era where people are, I think, accustomed to having vases on them regularly. A lot of the time they're stopping at the store to pick these flowers up on the way to your house. They don't know what would be an acceptable vase. I often bring things in mason jars for just this reason. If it doesn't ever come back to me, it's, you know, about a dollar and 12 cent loss. You know, it provides something to bring to the to the host so that they aren't taxed immediately with trying to save these flowers from air exposure. You know, it's it works for me. Certain levels of, of guests and hosts, Mason Jar might not be appropriate enough, and you might need a real glass vase for this to feel like the real deal in terms of the world of entertaining. I really like to encourage people to relax about it and to to back off the worry of not being able to participate for five or ten minutes in the party. There are all kinds of small duties that hosts need to do in order to attend to things. And when you might not have a co-host, you might not have an extra set of hands. um, I think we need to get comfortable with the idea that we'll have to excuse ourselves to deal with things for a few minutes. And don't, don't let it ruin your enjoyment of the good th- time that you're creating for other people or participating with them later in the meal.
0: And similarly, like Lizzie said right off the bat, give yourself permission to put them in a bucket out of sight in the pantry and get back to the party if that's what's important to you, that that's perfectly reasonable. There is no expectation that you get these things arranged and presented that evening. Can we talk about the one other place people make this mistake, the classic flower mistake?
1: Oh, yeah. Go for it.
0: Showing up for a date when you're about to go out and bringing flowers.
1: Oh, <laughs> I have not even
0: thought of this. So, hey, I'm here to pick you up. Here are these flowers. Do you want to carry them around all evening? Or now are we going to have this awkward time where you go back into the house, maybe invite me and maybe don't, to get these put away <laughs> and taken care of? The other place that you hear about people thinking Struggling about something the, yeah. where it's a, a, the intent is meant to be thoughtful and to show some care and the impact or result ends up being the exact opposite. Yeah. So this isn't advice for Suzanne, but this is advice that's going to help Suzanne out. If you're thinking about bringing flowers as a gift and they are a traditional gift and a thoughtful gift, bring a little something to put them in or maybe even have them cut ahead of time so that they don't need to be taken care of when you deliver them. Or maybe think about other different ways to honor your host or hostess with a gift, something else that wouldn't necessarily ask something of them in the moment that you deliver it.
1: Suzanne, we are so sorry that these flowers caused you so much strife, but we hope that in the future you will have wonderful gatherings where you can feel confident and comfortable enjoying your time with your guests.
0: And remember, if you're a good sport, everyone will like you better. And what's most important, you'll feel better about yourself. Are you a good sport? This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news,
1: leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are
0: the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This next question is about electric etiquette. Dear Post Cousins, I am a longtime listener to the podcast and am delighted to be writing in with my first question. I am moving into a new apartment in a few months, and I am in the process of searching for a roommate to share my new home. The rent is settled with the landlord, but as the tenant, I will be responsible for the electric bill. I want to be able to give a potential roommate a realistic idea of what to expect for that cost, as it's an older home, and I know that can make heating somewhat more expensive. I have spoken to the landlord about this, but she has never lived in the unit and doesn't know. I do have contact information for the current tenant who kindly welcomed me into his home while I was considering signing a lease. I was wondering if there is any polite way to ask him what his electric bill usually costs. I was raised with an understanding that it's never okay to talk about finances, especially with someone outside of your family. So this is not a situation I feel completely comfortable in. And if your verdict is that there isn't an appropriate way to approach this situation, I understand. I also think it's important to note that the current tenant is a good bit older than me. I'm in my mid-20s, and he is moving into a retirement facility, so there is likely a generational difference in our approach to manners. Thank you so much for all your work on the podcast and for taking the time to answer my question. Regards, S.
1: As Dan and I have different thoughts on this and it's kind of funny because typically our thoughts are reversed. I'm the one who says, go confront the person, go handle it, to go just ask the question. And this time I say, call the electric company and find out either what a comparable size apartment spends on electric and heating during the worst months and during the not not as worst months <laughs> and then during the easier months. And I'm pretty sure that you can get that information. I don't know that you can get it for the Exact unit, but I know that you could ask and and get some averages for yourself, and that would give you enough of a basis. Um, this to me sounds like a problem that you you can solve or can estimate based on gathering a little bit of info um, without having to ask someone directly about what they pay for heating or electric
0: each month. And I was thinking, why not? I definitely recognize the hesitancy to ask people questions about finances. The Counter thought that's weighing in my mind here is that there's a shared interest, that this person has been living in the house for a period of time and you're about to be living in it. In some ways, you're not asking them a lot of details about their personal finances. You're asking them a detail about this shared interest, this apartment or house that is changing hands. And it's not an uncommon question in that process to make an inquiry about utility bills on average over the last year when you're buying a house it's often information that's included that's part of the disclosure and i think that most people are going to understand where that question's coming from i would build that Question when I asked it in a way that didn't assume everything that I just said. I would be explicit with that ask. I'm trying to budget for next year and I'm curious about the heating costs for the apartment. Would you be willing to share with me what the costs were last year or usually are or your best guess for an annual heating bill? I think that most people aren't going to interpret that question as being too personal or too probing.
1: I don't think they'll interpret it as too personal and too probing, but I do think sometimes people don't feel comfortable asking. Um, and Which so, is understandable. Yeah, yeah. And I know you're saying that the, the apartment itself is the the unit in common that you have. I don't know if I'd label it a shared interest because I think the person moving out might have very little interest in trying to communicate or do anything Um, and I don't know if that's a that they might be very helpful they might not we just don't know this person's personality we don't know what they consider kind of private information what they don't and it's why I like the way Dan says he explains why he's trying to gain this information and then says if you'd be willing to share it that would be so great do remember though that because you don't know whether there's someone who cranks the heat or tur- use, leaves lights on all the time, because you don't know their behaviors and needs, it really could end up being quite different from what you experience in the home. And that's just something you should put out there. As you're seeking a new roommate, you might say, I haven't gotten used to the utility bills yet. This is the range I'm anticipating them being in. It
0: could be more or less depending on how we use the space. That's a good point about the particulars. I was definitely looking at the question and saying to myself, there are some clues about the previous tenant that S was welcomed kindly in, that this person seemed nice and generous. I'm also thinking about the details of how you reach out to this person. Do you have their contact information? Is it possible to give them a call? You could also go back to your future landlord and say, "I'm really curious about this. I'm can you ask on my behalf?" exactly yeah, or is there a contact a way that you contact this person that would be better? but I like the idea of asking on my behalf, yeah, I think that's a another reasonable way to approach this situation
1: as we hope this helps and enjoy your new space.
0: This next question is about a housewarming heartache.
1: Hello and happy spring! My husband and I have purchased our first home. Congratulations! And we are planning a housewarming party. Creative, handcrafted invitations have gone out, and everyone knows that the format is open house. There will be food and fun games, and if the weather permits, a scavenger hunt. We are so excited to just have our friends and family over. One thing that keeps coming up is the question of a registry. We barely have time to make sure all of our party plans come together and have not given any thought to a registry. What is the best way to convey that gifts are welcome but not expected and that we really just want to celebrate with people we love so there is no registry? I tried that wording with one person and the response was, so is your wedding registry still active? What to do? Thank you in advance. Not registered.
0: Okay, so I have a sort of tangential thought to this question, but do you want to tackle the basic etiquette for us right off the bat?
1: You're in good stead because you don't register for housewarming parties. I wish that we could make this like the sounding beat of this podcast. You do not register for housewarming parties. Just because people want to bring you gifts for your housewarming party doesn't mean you should register for it. You don't want to just keep your wedding registry up just for kicks and use it to fill in the gaps. No, 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 no. Dan, tell me something. Have you Learned anything from what I'm saying? You don't register for housewarming parties. What about
0: my birthday party? Can I register you for don't my birthday register party?
1: For birthday parties. What about
0: my baby shower? Can I register for my baby yes, shower? Yes, you
1: can register for your baby shower. You can register for your wedding shower, but you do not at this point in time register for housewarming parties, birthday parties, or retirement parties.
0: I appreciate the clarity.
1: <laughs> do you want some reasons why? <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah, because the goal here is actually everything that you've stated in the very first paragraph of your question, which is that we are so excited to just have our friends and family over. The warming of the house happens by having your closest friends and family, and your, sometimes your new neighbors, come visit you in your new space so that it feels like a space that's familiar to you now. You've had familiar faces. Mom and dad have seen it, or a sister or brother who lives in town or a cousin or a random aunt who lives in town has come to see it. So People of your your kin have seen this. Your chosen tribe, you know, your, your group that you've made your family away from family has your come new family those
0: neighbors that you're going to get yes, to know very exactly. well
1: they've seen it they've warmed your house with their presence and that is what a housewarming is about if people bring a plate of cookies or a potted plant or a music mix or some pretty dish serving dish for the kitchen that is just cream on top extra cherry throw on the sugar let's mix all the metaphors It's the good stuff that's great and it's a surprise, but it should in no way be something that people feel obligated to do. And it should also not be something that they feel they have to seek out from you is information about what gifts you would like. If they want to bring a a platter of homemade cookies, that should be just as well
0: received as someone who brings something purchased. I was thinking a Simon Pierce vase would be really nice for those flowers that people are going to be <laughs> no bringing. No
1: registering, but yeah, that is funny. <laughs> Extra phases. <laughs>
0: and direction starts to build that sense of obligation, so you want to avoid giving that direction.
1: Exactly, exactly. So I think you've done exactly what you should do. You've created invitations. You can just – if people call and ask about bringing a gift, you say, just please bring whatever you feel would be nice. And that's it. You can say, you know, our, our color themes are this – if you if they're asking for the information but this is not something you are going to post somewhere it's not something you are going to send out as explicit information.
0: Okay. So now we've covered the basic etiquette. Can I go off on a tangent here? Please. I'm thinking about old wedding registries and websites. I think mine are still up. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I know. It's kind of hard to take them down. It, Why? It's, it's a little bit No like, one's
1: going to use them.
0: <laughs> no, but it's like this reminder of this event. and It's sort of the same way I've got samples of the invitations. <laughs> and I have photos. <laughs> I have a feeling that I'm not the only one.
1: Clear your digital clutter.
0: <laughs> well, and that's... I guess this was the question I wanted to ask the audience in general, but apparently my cousin has a strong <laughs> feeling about it. Is this clutter? Is it... Weird to have a wedding website up years after the wedding. I believe so. I want to do a poll. How many people out there that had a wedding website have gone and taken it down since?
1: I don't think many have, but I do think it's something you should do. The event is over. I bet that there are wedding registries up there that have outlasted the marriage themselves. Probably. And I hate saying that, but it's
0: it's true. But my wedding website was so beautiful. I put a lot of time into it. It's got a lot of pictures I like. Take it's screenshots. Well set you don't up. does
1: it okay, so it brings you joy. That's yes. nice. Now, does it really need to be something you take into your future? No. Do you you sit around going, I'm going to spend time looking at my old wedding website. No. Okay, that would be the one for me that does it, is that you don't like say, oh, it's Wednesday night and the baby's in bed and Pooja and I are sitting up. And what we're going to do is go sit at the computer and look at our old wedding registry and website. Remember how we built that? Remember how we discussed this?
0: <laughs> but is there such a thing as clutter online? Does it bother anyone that it's still there if – Say 10 years from now, we were like, oh boy, let's go take a look at our old wedding website. Why would you do it? Okay. Just to remind take ourselves screen- of who we okay, were so and what we did. take
1: screenshots of the site and put them in a folder that's all your wedding photos the and all of that. wedding scrapbook. But get rid of your registry. It's like it's not needed. It's just digital clutter in the universe.
0: The registry also starts to feel a little bit different to me. Somehow there's something about gifts, the dollar signs that are attached to those gifts that feels more like something I would want to clean up yes. behind me. Totally. And I don't know why that's got a slightly different feel than the, the wedding website itself. The but. thing
1: that I still find a little weird is some registry websites will do this thing where they send out a thing that says... um help Dan and Pooja clean up their registry. Mm. And I'm like, oh, or finish off their registry. And it's like for all the things that weren't chosen, you could go and buy them extra gifts. And I just think that's n- not, not in kind.
0: That is definitely something to be aware of. And if I could do anything to close an account out before those kinds of messages started to get delivered, I think it's probably a good idea.
1: Yeah, not my favorite spot. But... Not registered. We hope that this helps you to feel confident in your decision not to register and to have just a really fun time at this party that sounds awesome. Food, games. If the weather permits a scavenger hunt, I want to go to this party and warm this house.
0: Guests who want to bring you things? Yeah. (laughs) Sounds good. Take care. And thank you for giving us this question. It certainly provided some etiquette grist for the mill. In this picture, we've looked at a few problems of the kind you and your friends run into every day. Remember what those problems of friendship are. They involve loyalty, good manners, and dependability. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or send us a text to 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on Twitter, where we're at EmilyPostInst, or on Facebook, where we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post or comment so that we know you want your question on the show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover.
0: Our first piece of feedback has to do with a question that we answered a couple weeks ago about someone who was navigating expectations about a bald head in public after a chemotherapy treatment.
1: The feedback begins, Hi Dan and Lizzie, I listen to your podcast when I travel and just heard the question from the woman in treatment for cancer. And although I have never written to any show or podcast, her question compelled me to write with a story that might help her or others going through chemo. I was diagnosed with breast cancer 15 years ago, at a time when there might not have been quite the familiarity there is now with seeing women without hair because they were clearly going through treatment. I was sitting with friends, no hair, no hat, no wig, in Central Park on a sunny afternoon sharing a picnic. A woman came up and asked gently if she could interrupt. She explained that she had a friend that had just been diagnosed with cancer and was undergoing treatment. The friend had lost her hair and was devastated and struggling with just putting on a hat or scarf and going out. The gentle friend asked me if I would mind terribly if she took my picture. She said she wanted to show her friend that there were women who chose to be bald. Women who had not lost their hair through treatment but were choosing a bald head because they felt it was their best and most beautiful look. That request for my photo told me that in spite of how I had lost my hair, I was conveying ease and strength. Probably the best compliment I ever got. I said, of course, and then told the friend that I too was in treatment and to let her friend know that the sun feels wonderful on a bald head. Just thought this might help someone. Wear your struggles like they are strengths. Sarah,
0: I love that. Me, too. And I will take that advice. I love that idea of wearing your struggles as if they're strengths. strengths. Yeah. Our next piece of feedback is for Lizzie Post about her new book, Higher Etiquette. Hi there. I've been listening to your podcast forever since the dinner party download days and so enjoyed your announcement and description of your new book, Higher Etiquette. So just now I bought and downloaded the Kindle edition and I'm going to send a few copies as gifts. I will thank you on my cousin's behalf. Thank you. (laughs) What a great day. Opening day of baseball and a fun new book to enjoy. Thanks for taking the leap into this territory. You certainly are modernizing things best david
1: david thank you so much that's so great to hear i really i actually i love hearing from folks that do the digital version or who also download the audio version the only thing
0: better than buying a book is buying several
1: (laughs) i like it i like it dan david thank you so much for purchasing the book and thank you for your encouraging words i really appreciate them
0: And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment, update, or question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
1: It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we are going to continue our series from the 19th edition of Etiquette on difficult-to-eat foods. And we will be tackling H where we find hors d'oeuvres and then moving through a very short L, which is simply lemons. And I think we are going to end with poultry and game birds. So we are getting… Moving
0: right through the alphabet. Yes, H through P. (laughs) I'm going to begin today's segment with the oldest joke in my mother's book, hors d'oeuvres.
1: Why is that a joke?
0: Because it's mispronouncing hors d'oeuvres the way it's phonetically pronounced if you were to read the word. <laughs> and now you know where I get my sense of humor. <laughs> Typically, hors d'oeuvres are finger foods and intended to be eaten in one or two bites. At parties, you may be choosing hors d'oeuvres from the platter set on a table or taking them from a past tray. In either case, plenty of napkins should be available. Take small portions from tables and trays. When taking two or more items, use one of the small plates provided. A single can be held on a napkin. A napkin also goes under any plate you're holding in case you need it. There's usually a small receptacle on the table or tray for used food skewers and toothpicks. If not, hold any items such as shrimp tails and toothpicks in your napkin until you find a waste basket. Don't place used items on the buffet table unless there's a receptacle for the purpose. When crudité, raw vegetables, or chips and dip are offered, spoon some of the dip on your plate. If a communal bowl is used instead of individual plates, don't double dip. I love hors d'oeuvres. Oh, really? I really, really do. Um, Just a little something, just a little nibble. I
1: love, I could, I'm one of those people who could totally just eat them all night long. Like, I think they're awesome. But they do present such a challenge with so many, so many moving parts, so many different options. I often am the person who takes something that looks delicious, I take one bite of it and realize I really wouldn't care to finish the rest of it. And so the little plate is something I'm always looking for. But it, it is funny, one of the other things that doesn't get mentioned that often is that, and this was something I learned later in life, is that you never return to a buffet with a plate that you've already used, apparently. And so if you've gotten round one of hors d'oeuvres and you're looking for round two and it is kind of that buffet style that's being served, go put your plate on one of the trays that they have set out for uh, for leaving items like that and then go to the buffet and get a fresh plate.
0: I love this uh directive not to make a mess. Just because you're not sitting at a table doesn't mean you get to make a mess of your food or the place setting. In this case, the whole room where food's being served. Keep it in a napkin. Look for a wastebasket. Don't put it back on the table where food's coming from. Keep it neat. Don't leave a trail of detritus behind you. People will appreciate it.
1: Lemons. When squeezing a lemon section over a dish or into tea, shield other diners from squirts by holding a spoon or your cupped hand in front of it as you squeeze. After squeezing, place the lemon on the edge of the plate or saucer, or drop it into your iced tea. All are appropriate. The other thing you sometimes see is that occasionally you get a lemon in a nice little baggie, and you are not to remove it from the baggie. That baggie is actually to help catch seeds and let the juice drain out, and it also does help prevent squirts.
0: I think it's one of the quietly coolest table moves yes to shield your lemon wedge when you squeeze it into a beverage or onto that yummy little oyster cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like
1: thinking definitely on oysters
0: <laughs> next up are a couple tips for the broad category of meats with a few exceptions meat is eaten with a fork and cut with a knife or a steak knife for more robust cuts Cut and eat one piece at a time. When meat is served on the bone, as is the case with chops and ribs, there are times when it's okay to pick up the bones in your fingers. Chops at a dinner party or a relatively formal restaurant, pork, lamb, and veal chops are eaten with a knife and fork. The center or eye of the chop is cut off the bone and then cut into two or three pieces. If your host or hostess invites you to pick up the bones, then it's fine to do so. Among friends, at an informal occasion or at home, you can, of course, hold the chop and bite off the last juicy morsels of pork, lamb, and veal. But if a chop is too big to be picked up with only one hand, it should stay put on the plate. Grilled meats. At an informal barbecue, it's fine to eat hamburgers, hot dogs, ribs, and pieces of chicken with your fingers, but use a knife and fork for sausages without buns, fish steak, and other meats served in large portions.
1: For more casual events, but you still have a question about fork or fingers, I look to my host and just say, oh, you know, what do you prefer? Do you prefer eating these ribs with with your fork or with fingers? And that just gives you full permission either direction.
0: I was asking my server that not that long ago. How do people usually tackle this? (laughs) She says, I don't know. I don't eat meat. But I think pretty much however they can. And that made me feel good about picking it up.
1: Olive oil. Pour olive oil from a cruet onto your bread plate. If it's served in a dish, either spoon a small pool of oil onto your bread plate or dip a bite-sized piece of bread into the communal bowl. Spooning is preferable as it reduces the chance of drips on the tablecloth. If you dip in the communal bowl, be sure not to double dip. And we should make the announcement that double dipping also does not mean dipping one end while holding the other biting the end that you've dipped and then flipping it around and holding the the like last bit of the end that you've you've dipped and bitten off of and dipping the end that has that you've been holding on to that doesn't actually equate to clean, clean double dipping <laughs> I like this, though. With olive oil, I tend to also season it a little bit if it's not already seasoned. So I'll often put a little bit of salt and pepper into the spoonful I put on my dish. But I would refrain from doing that to the whole dish unless asking everyone first.
0: From olive oil to olives. Eat olives from an antipasta platter with your fingers. You also use your fingers to remove the pit from your mouth while cupping your hand as a screen. The pit goes into a small dish provided or on the side of your plate. When olives come in a salad, eat them with your fork. Remove a pit from your mouth, either with your fingers or by pushing it with your tongue onto your fork. Then place the pit on the edge of your dinner plate. The classic question, how do you take something out of your mouth that you're not going to swallow? This
1: was hotly debated in our family. I have fun fun memories of where the different parental and childhood alignments came up because they weren't what you would have thought. I believe it was your mother and I who loved removing pits with fingers and really advocated for that. But your mother went through the trouble of really practicing the the kind of pushing it to the front of your mouth with your tongue and then gently on to the, to the fork just to make sure it was really possible. And it is. It's not as hard as, as people make it out to be. It's not as hard as I make it out to be. I tend to think it's a lot more production than the discreet, you know, removing with fingers, which allows for a bit of covering of that item as it comes out of your mouth and onto the plate.
0: This has been debated in our family since Emily Post herself. Yes. Who offered the dispensation thought that it was maybe more discreet to use your fingers. I I like the addition of. A, cu- a cupped hand yes. kind of shielding that or your removal yep. or using your napkin, not to spit into your napkin, no. but as a <laughs> a shield as you actually reach into your mouth or touch your and lips with your fingers to take out. something out. Yeah. Even in Emily's day, though, there was an awareness of the expectation that you might be able to execute this other move, that it, there might be a more subtle quality to putting your fork up to your mouth, getting that item back on your fork and bringing it back down to your dinner table, that might be less noticeable.
1: Quite that possibly. requires
0: some real skill, some it does. real practice. But
1: it also, it, it follows the rule of in with fingers, out with fingers, in with fork, out with fork. And that was the rule of the day that people were trying to kind of adhere to. But yeah, it's, it's fun.
0: <laughs> and olive pits are one of those things that you're not supposed to swallow. So the question emerges.
1: We conclude today with poultry and game birds. At a formal dinner, no part of a bird—chicken, turkey, game hen, quail, or squab—is picked up with the fingers. The exception is when a host encourages his guests to use fingers for eating the joints of small game birds served without gravy or sauce. When eating the breast or leg of a bird, use your knife and fork to cut as much meat as you can from the bone, working parallel to the bones, and then leave the rest on the plate. If you're served a small, whole bird, such as a quail, cut the bird in half head to tail through the center of the breast, then separate the wings and leg from the body, using your fork to hold the leg or wing, and your knife to cut through the joint. The no-fingers rule doesn't always apply, such as when you're dining at home or in a family-style or informal restaurant. It's fine to eat fried chicken with your fingers, and do the same with the wings, joints, and drumstick of other poultry. When eating a turkey drumstick, however, start with a knife and fork to eat the easily cut pieces of meat before you pick up the drumstick and eat the rest. In some parts of the United States, notably in the South, fried chicken is almost always eaten with the fingers. But take a cue from your host to be sure. I always love that because you truly can always ask.
0: It certainly is. And whenever in doubt, that asking is often the best policy. We will return to this topic next week when we will conclude our review of Tricky Foods from the 19th edition. After a month or two of this, Ralph suddenly realized that a slow change had taken place without his noticing it. He found that eating had become fun. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today we hear from Jennifer. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'd like to salute the kindness of the grocery shoppers and employees at Sprouts in Valencia, California. As a mom of two little girls, I usually have my toddler riding in the cart while I wear my infant in a carrier while I shop. Almost every time I stop with my daughters, a considerate customer in line has offered to help me unload my cart. Usually I thank them, but decline the help. However, the other week, the gentleman behind me asked to help me unload, and I decided to take him up on his offer. It was a simple gesture that didn't take any more of his time, but it helped me get through the checkout line faster, so I wasn't struggling to unload the basket with the baby strapped to me while keeping tabs on my toddler, who was ready to go home. I also want to salute the friendly employees, who greet both me and my daughters with kindness and respect, and know how to make a toddler's day with some stickers." It really makes a weekly errand that could be fraught with stress, one that I look forward to. Jennifer, thank you for this salute. I also (laughs) love the sprouts that was in my life back in Claremont, California. I particularly appreciate, as the parent of a toddler who loves the grocery store, it's one of her favorite stops, the way that the staff both acknowledge you and your child and the way that that makes you both feel welcome but it's not just the staff. It's those other customers, that person who helped you out in line as well. And it is often those little acts of kindness that make such a big difference in our lives. Thank you for sharing.
1: And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please keep your questions comments and salutes coming you can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com
0: you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND that's 802-858-5463 we love to hear your voice On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post.
1: And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E.
0: On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute.
1: Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com.
0: You can also subscribe to the regular version of the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please do consider leaving us a review. It helps with the show ratings, and that lets other people find Awesome Etiquette.
1: Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris and Bridget.
0: Thanks, Chris and Bridget.